Hello and welcome to the Soundtrack Sisters. I am Gloria Bradford, film score composer and audio production editor. I have a bachelor's of music in film scoring composition from Berklee College of Music and a minor in writing for TV and new media. I am beyond excited to share the millions of thoughts I have whenever I watch a movie. I believe that music can help express ideas where words fail us. The majority of my work in education has been focused on composition and synthetic audio production for video and video games. I'm delighted to have this opportunity along with one of my great friends. And I'm that great friend, Brenda Hamilcamp, <laughs> performer, piano teacher, and film music lover. I earned my degree in piano performance from Colorado State University, and I'm currently studying my master's in collaborative piano at Boston University. Much of my work is very performance focused, and one thing I love about collaborative piano is the, well, collaboration. <laughs> Something that will hopefully be helpful and give us some insight on the collaboration that has to occur in film music. Welcome to our episode of The Soundtrack Sisters. Since our last recording, I had a baby. And Woo! Yay! <laughs> yay! You, Gloria, have been keeping busy also, starting your master's in business as well as working. So it has been a crazy mm -hmm. few weeks between recording sessions. I probably won't be able to tell, hopefully, because we're going to try and release this. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> today we want to talk about one of my favorite movie soundtracks, The Hunger Games. It's my personal opinion, and many will disagree with me. Please don't hate me. But I think this is one of the rare cases where the movies are actually better than the books for several reasons, and I won't go into it. But the chiefest of which is that the soundtrack is so on point. It's so good. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very interesting observation, Brenna. <laughs> I do think the Hunger Games movies are good considering how other book adaptations are. Mm -hmm. But before we go too deep into any analysis, let's first jump into talking about the composer, which is James Newton Howard. Excellent idea. James Newton Howard is one of my favorite composers and has a prolific output with films such as The Hunger Games series, The Fantastic Beasts series, Pretty Woman, The Fugitive, Space Jam, King Kong, Maleficent, Peter Pan, The Village, Treasure Planet, Batman Begins in the Dark Knight in conjunction with Hans Zimmer, and many others, as in over 100 films. According to his IMDb page, he attended the University of Southern California to study music, but dropped out and ordered to tour with Elton John. As one does. Of course. Mm -hmm. Totally normal. I mean, I passed by the opportunity myself. <laughs> of but, course. You know. <laughs> anyway, James Newton has collaborated with many others, ranging from Barbara Streisand to Olivia Newton. Uh, John to Randy Newman. He has composed for film and television for over 30 years and has been nominated for nine Oscars, has won Emmy Awards and Grammy Awards, and has also won the Henry Mancini Award for Lifetime Achievement, as well as the BMI Icon Award. Yeah, what have I done? Mm. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, sounds like he's pretty cool. <laughs> and beyond being a composer, he is also a conductor, pianist, record producer, producer and songwriter. Uh, for me, one of my favorite things about his composing is how it seems like he really approaches each score with the goal of making it sound authentic to the setting. While every movie has a distinct sound, usually I've noticed his scores are orchestrated with mostly strings, keyboard, and softer instruments, which is probably why I like his style so much. Music is music, Howard says. A songwriter is a storyteller and no different from a visual storyteller. So if you're a good storyteller, possibly as a musician, then that would seem to be able to translate into work as a film composer, close quote. 
Howard is very adaptive artist, 100% willing to forgo any musical signature to suppress a unique voice to perfectly match the movie, to tell the story, as he says. This adaptability is seen in The Hunger Games, a uniquely folky score, unlike anything else. That is for sure. One of the reasons I love this score so much is because of how well it fits the movie. <clears throat> for those who haven't seen The Hunger Games, I would highly recommend doing so. And if you don't want it spoiled, then definitely go watch it and then come back and listen to this. <laughs> a quick recap. This movie and book series is set in Panem, which is a post-war dystopian United States. Basically a society that rebuilt after what I believe was supposed to be a nuclear war and then was rebuilt after a civil war within the country of Panem. The Hunger Games is a spectacle that takes place every year where two children, 12 to 18, are reaped from 12 districts to compete in to the death in the capital. If you read the prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, soon to be a feature film, you would know a little more about how The Hunger Games came to be, but this particular movie slash book is set much after the start of The Hunger Games. In fact, this is the 74th annual Hunger Games in this one. It's a pretty gruesome society and idea, but that's what it is. <laughs> Our main character, Katniss Everdeen, is from the outlying District 12, which is basically supposed to be East Coast, generally like West Virginia, I think, because it's the coal mining district. Katniss volunteers to save her sister and ends up being a participant in the games, which takes place at the Capitol. We bring up the setting because James Newton Howard's music for the score is so fitting for the setting, for the themes, and for each character. In our last episode about Sherlock Holmes, we talked a lot about instrumentation, and that also plays a huge role in this movie. The very beginning opens with a dulcimer and guitar, giving District 12 and Katniss a very folk-like sound. Other instruments featured in this movie include strings, drums, horns, bells, and voice. We will get to more about these as we discuss the themes. Sounds good to me. Let's jump on it. Overall, it's a very somber score which is fitting when you have a topic about killing children battle royale style yep (laughs) the music often fights against the action it's not usually fast or active or rhythmically up tempo rather the music comments generally on the tragedy and the injustice of the hunger games and the great suffering caused by the totalitarian society I feel like that's a sentence you don't say every day. Nope. <laughs> the score also frequently and subtly leads to the next piece. That's a great summary. <laughs> the beginning of the film opens, like I said, with dulcimer and guitar, and it interestingly starts in a major key, even though there is a written explanation on the screen describing the Hunger Games, so there is an aspect of cognitive dissonance going on. It pretty quickly turns ominous, and we hear Prim, Katniss's little sister, screaming at the top of her lungs. We cut from there to Katniss comforting Prim, who is worried about being reaped into the Hunger Games. Katniss sings her a lullaby called Deep in the Meadow, which I didn't realize until I watched it this time around, but this lullaby comes back later in the film when Katniss sings to Rue while she dies, and it also comes back at the very end of the series in Mockingjay Part 2 when she sings it to her baby. This is what we call diegetic music, or the music that characters can hear. It pulls us, pulls all the movies nicely together in this nice bow, and the words are significant. They are as follows. Deep in the meadow under the willow, a bed of grass, a soft green pillow. Lay down your head and close your eyes, and when they open, the sun will rise. Here it's safe, here it's warm. Here the daisies guard you from every harm. Here your s- dreams are sweet, and tomorrow brings them true. Here is a place where I love you. Sweet. 
<laughs> sweet, isn't it? So it's a typical lullaby. But if you juxtapose this sweet lullaby with what's happening in the scene with Prim at the beginning, things aren't safe. Uh, in yeah, fact, no. they're the opposite of safe. <laughs> La- later in the Hunger Games, Rue in the games, it's very much not safe and warm there either. Nope. It feels like this lullaby is from a forgotten time. It only feels possible at the very end where Katniss sings to her child. So it serves as both to show the stark contrast of how things should be and they aren't they aren't now, and possibly foreshadows how things could eventually improve. Also, very important, it humanizes Katniss and causes the watchers of the Hunger Games to sympathize with her, a big feat for Katniss who just isn't likable. Yeah, no. <laughs> After this scene, the camera pans through District 12 and Katniss heads off to hunt. There are some strings occasionally playing pizzicato, which is like when they pluck uh, with their fingers in the background, but this part almost exclusively features a single female voice humming, and it sounds very improvisatory. This again adds to the folksy nature and sound of the scene. Along with the dulcimer and guitar music, this sounds very characteristic to the sound of what we would call Appalachia, or like the east-slash-south area where approximately West Virginia might be. I'm not an expert or any kind of ethnomusicologist, but using the voice really gives it the folk feel, because the voice is the first instrument before any other instruments were invented, and it's something that anyone can do, whether you're a trade Whether you believe it or not, you can do it. You can. (laughs) Anyway, it gives us a sense of who Katniss is and where she's from, and Howard just does it so effectively with these small, simple tricks. It comes back later in the film when Katniss gets the Mockingjay pin, a really significant symbol of her rebellion, and when she's searching for PETA. So it seems to characterize Katniss as well as her home. The next theme that shows up is what we call the Pan Am Capital theme. It plays over the special film that (laughs) Effie shows right before the reaping that explains with President Snow narrating about why we have the Hunger Games. This theme is diegetic during the special film, but when it comes back in the underscore later, as Peta and Katniss have the ceremonial entrance into the capital with the other tributes, and then once again, back to diegetic music as it plays as a symbol of the deaths of the tributes during the Hunger Games. This theme is very heavily focused on horns and trumpets. It's very regal and patriotic sounding and sounds very much like a government theme. I feel like monarchies always have trumpets announcing the royal entry. This theme is a deep contrast from the rest of the music in the film, which is so much softer and warmer. Horns and trumpets tend to give a sense of power and might, probably because they are so loud and overpowering. (laughs) You've never felt the might of trumpets until you've been trapped in a tiny practice room with one or sat right in front of one Mm -hmm. in orchestra, let me tell you. Mm, No no kidding. (laughs) Before we go to the next theme, I wanted to mention that during the reaping, when Prim is called and then Katniss volunteers, there is complete silence. Prim screams again when Katniss takes her place, and it's really ominous because of the lack of music. The total silence continues for what feels like several minutes until the people show their solidarity with Katniss with their, like, finger tribute, and Peta gets called. And then it's just low strings at first, and the music doesn't take over until they get on the train to the capital where it drowns Effie out. Besides actually composing the music, one of the biggest jobs for the composer and the director in regards to the music is deciding where to not have any. Mm -hmm. The lack of music can be just as powerful or even more powerful than its presence. 
In this case, since we have some music, though sparsely orchestrated in the beginning, the total silence is a huge impact. Then, when the music takes over on the train, we get this gorgeous, lush sound from the strings that swells until it takes over all the audio. The melody here I would describe as bliss. Katniss has seen all this lavish accommodations as never before. There is perhaps a slight sparkle of hope that life could be different going forward if she keeps on living. This is Katniss's first time being well provided for, and Effie says, you get to enjoy all of this. Yay, Yay, good lucky you. (laughs) The strings give it a melancholy and bittersweet feeling, and it makes such a beautiful contrast to the scene immediately before it with the silence of the reaping. Going on, this isn't quite a main theme, but we'd like to mention, but you mentioned earlier the use of bells. Tell us more about that, Brenna. Yes, when I say bells, I mean like high tinkly bells. It might be a glockenspiel or something. I'm not an expert at identifying all those sounds, but these high tinkling bells are sort of off key and used while Katniss is watching past Hunger Games as well as when she is shooting to quote unquote audition for her official rating. Both scenes display how awful the games slash the capital are, just um, and just how gruesome and sick the situation is, and the off-color ringing noise kind of hurts one's ears and tells the audience what is taking place. When Katniss is watching the previous games, Caesar Flickerman is narrating about the moment when a tribute becomes a victor, which is a nice line, mm-hmm. but you're watching <laughs> the brutality that led to the victor is just awful. Yeah. The off-color bells really displays the emotional tension Katniss is feeling. In order to win the games, she has to abandon her morality. Coming into the training montage, which set to a common theme or style, a sense of upbeat and fast tempo. The games has set in for all the contestants. There's going to be some death soon. Yes. Uh, This scene is full of fast, ominous drums. Tensions are running high as tributes begin to argue and even seem to be forming alliances before the games have even begun. The audience can feel the emotion and the reality that Katniss is not going against regular children, but one's actually trained for this. Because, uh, yeah, seriously. Because much of the score is so soft and quite a bit slower, the contrasting music is what gives us that sense alongside the acting. Soon after, the tributes have their interviews with Caesar, and the diegetic music comes back in as we get basically a trumpet fanfare announcing Caesar and the beginning of the show. The use of trumpets and horns immediately connects Caesar and all the showiness to the capital. Yeah, again, it makes us feel the might of the capital as the tributes are basically put on display for entertainment um, for the capital without their consent. The showiness of the trumpet fanfare gives the impression that the capital has real power and these contestants are just property. In that scene also, right before Katniss goes on, I noticed a variation of the Diecire, yes. which is of course appropriate since these are like the death games. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's get to the start of the games. This scene uses music in a really interesting way. It's a fight against the action. It's a total bloodbath, but there's a still quiet ominous music over the very active, tragic, dramatic scene of the death and the blood and the falling, and it comments on the monstrosity that is the Hunger Games. Well put. (laughs) The audience can really feel Katniss's panic and emotional tension as it begins, because rather than hearing the bloodbath, we hear the music spread over the confusion and craziness that's happening. It's sort of like she went deaf for a second. Um, It goes back to that idea of creating cognitive dissonance, and it works really well. We still feel the horror, but it's not quite as gory, and yet it's more chilling. 
And I think it's kind of like, you know, getting the audience into mm -hmm. Katniss's head. And the music is a comment on what she's feeling rather than what she's seeing. During the games, we have some music reprised from early in their film, as we talked about. The music during the scene where Katniss cuts down the Tracker Jacker Hive is interesting, slowly building. It's calm and collective, but then uses the sound effects to give a real trippy vibe because Katniss is tripping. Yep, hallucinating weird things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, another theme we hear during the games is the main whistle theme that everyone associates with the Hunger Games movies. But interestingly, the first time it shows up is during the games halfway through the movie. This is when Katniss and Rue have teamed up and they decide to use the Mockingjay as a way to signal each other as they carry out their plan. This four-note theme becomes a symbol of the Mockingjay and Katniss and eventually a symbol of rebellion. It is not exact, but this is a four-note theme strikingly similar to another four-note theme we know. That's right, again, the D-A-C-N-A. That's death. <laughs> what? <laughs> it is, uh, it would be an inverted version or variation of it, um, and I don't know for sure if that's what Howard was going for, but to me it sounds similar enough that I think it could be the intention, perhaps foreshadowing the death of Rue and eventually the death of the capital. Mm -hmm. It's definitely worth mentioning if it's at all slightly related. Anyway, like we mentioned, Deep in the Meadow comes back when Rue dies, and Katniss sings to her. This endears her to both the capital's audience and those watching in the district, so much so that it causes, like, rebellion. Anyway, Katniss buries ruined flowers. She looks directly at the camera and does the finger tribute that the district did for her. And thus the rebellion is born in Rue's District 11. And the music swells um, as they rebel and are viciously, viciously quashed by peacekeepers. Yeah, it's a really interesting scene because, again, cognitive dissonance. There's all this, like, really pretty string music and, like... Death. Uh, death. It's not going well. Uh, but it's a genius example of both the diegetic music and the score working together to develop Katniss's character along as uh, uh, setting up the upcoming unrest she causes due to her empathy in the games, which is a stark contrast to most tributes who are only worried about themselves. Mm -hmm. Another thing we keep getting during the games is the love theme for Peeta and Katniss. <laughs> Once they find each other and are in the cave together, we get a really soft guitar playing a simple theme that throughout the movies is developed as their love theme. It starts here really simply, leaving room to grow. She does not love him yet, but that doesn't mean that she won't. The dulcimer also comes back as they heal each other's wounds and realize that they could go home. This is so clever because the dulcimer was associated with District 12, and its return gives the audience the hope that Katniss and Peeta, Peeta are feeling. The last part of the games has a lot of ominous music. There's a lot of fast-paced, intense music as the finale builds and the capital main mutts appear, and Peeta and Katniss must fight Kato in order to win, and yeah, blah, blah, fight, fight, <laughs> gore, death, yeah. Yep. This is done with the ominous drums and the ominous horns and the interval of the tritone as the finale builds. You'll remember from one of our earlier episodes that the tritone is the interval of a diminished fifth or augmented fourth, that creepy sound that they used to call the devil in music. <laughs> uh, it gives a lot of intensity to any situation because the listener is not sure when or how it will resolve. The music builds until Kato is thrown to the dogs and he begins to scream. Strings take over and Katniss does what we might call a mercy kill. She obviously feels awful about the death, and it doesn't really feel like a victory. The strings give it that emotion that she and we feel as the games draw to a close. Mm -hmm. In 
a twisted sort of ending. The game maker changes his mind and decide that Cadmus and Peta can't both win. There still has to be a victor. <laughs> After all the pain and suffering that they both went through, Peta offers to let Katniss um, that he, he'll sacrifice himself and one of them should go home. We get a sense of Peta's selflessness and willingness to sacrifice himself, but instead of taking him up on the offer, Katniss decides to say, uh, no, thank you, and decides <laughs> they both can either win or they both can either lose and sacrifice themselves. This also endears us to Katniss, who shows us she's sparking the rebellion, even if she doesn't know she's doing it mm-hmm. even if she isn't doing it intentionally yeah as they get ready to eat their suicidal berries yum <laughs> strings very similar to the ones that played during the rebellion in district 11 take over indicating to the listeners that this is a rebellion against the capital again whether intentional or not the same melody with strings comes back at the very end with Peta when Peta and Katniss return to their district telling us that things are not over but that this is the beginning of the rebellion the choice to use these strings and melody is intentional, intentionally not victorious or triumphant. As we listen to the somberness of the tunes, we realize that no one ever wins in the Hunger Games. It is like in most dystopian settings, there's a, a tragic and the reflect that Katniss now has to live with a life of lies because she's escaped, not won the Hunger Games by pretending to be in love with PETA. And PETA deserves better, by the way. 100%. <laughs> Uh, I totally agree that if this were like a sports movie or something where the underdog comes out on top, the music would be much more triumphant and uplift the audience. While the soundtrack is amazing and beautiful and I love it, it's definitely not triumphant. (laughs) Um, President Snow earlier in the movie talks about underdogs and how important it is to take them down. So the audience knows that if the districts are ever going to come out on top, it is not through winning the Hunger Games. Because as these books and movies point out, no one wins except the capital. That's deep, Brenna. (laughs) We may have analyzed this a lot. One last thing before we go is the end credits. There is a very interesting choice of pop music that comes up as the credits roll. We begin with Abraham's Daughter by Arcade Fire. To me, this sounds a little bit off-kilter, which is appropriate for the feeling of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. The song right after this is Taylor Swift's Safe and Sound, which is with acoustic guitar and sounds very folksy, much like her earlier music. Uh, The message is, of course, that one day we will be safe and sound, and the folksy sound along with the message fits the setting really well. The last one is a song by the Civil Wars, also employing just guitar and vocal harmonizations. To my knowledge, Howard did not pick these, but the songs weirdly work with the unsettled feeling that we are left with at the end of the movie, as well as seeming to fit with the the setting of District 12. All that being said, that's a wrap for this episode of the Soundtrack Sisters. If you'd enjoyed the episode or think of someone else who might enjoy it, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing, and feel free to share with your friends. We would like that. Yes, we would. Yes, please. Be our friends. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Soundtrack Sisters. That's all one word, all lowercase. Give us a follow and let us know what you'd like to hear from the show. Bye. Bye.